0: This program is made possible by the support of our members. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now welcome to a Better Late Than Never edition of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, The Blast the Right podcast, It's All Politics, The Young Turks, Countdown, and the Fox News channel. Yeah, that's right. With a special bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report.
1: But here at home, boy, things are changing. It's hard to believe that it was only one week ago that Barack Obama signed the final piece of legislation making health care reform a reality in this country. And in that just one week, we already now live in a medical utopia. Universal coverage. <laughs> hot and cold running erection pills. <laughs> and perhaps the innovation we'd all waited for the longest. Robot
2: doctors. Now turn your head and cough. You have... Four seconds to comply.
1: Three, two. Mm, Dr. Goldstein, bot has uh, room to work on the bedside manner. <laughs> Kidding, of course. Healthcare reform isn't perfect by any stretch, but perhaps the one change we can all agree is a positive step is that now insurance companies can no longer deny coverage to children with pre-existing medical conditions. Insurance companies say for now, there's still a way to deny coverage to children with pre-existing
3: conditions.
1: <laughs> Insurance company convention in the <laughs> There's still a way to deny them, I guess by only hiring the black-hearted. Look, the law says you gotta cover them. Some insurance companies believe they have already found a loophole. But why? (laughs) Why are you looking? You may have found it, but why would you look for a loophole for that? Are are you worried that when you go to hell, you'd only be taking the local and you wanna make sure you're gonna be on the express? (laughs) Why would you look for a way not to cover children? I I think we have footage of the uh, health insurance CEO announcing the assignment to look for these loopholes. (laughs) Can do, boss. Why would you look for that? All right. Here is the relevant section of the health care bill. It's section 2704, clause A. It says, A health insurance issuer offering group individual health insurance coverage may not impose any pre-existing condition exclusion with respect to such plan or coverage. You cannot use pre-existing conditions to deny coverage. So here's the loophole they found. It doesn't say you can't still deny coverage, just not for pre-existing conditions. For example, maybe the insurance company now has a height limit. or. Maybe, maybe to get insured, children have to answer a trivia question about 1950s rock and roll. (laughs) Or perhaps to get insured, children have to see all six Saw movies. Oh, what's the matter, Billy? Too scared to get insurance? (laughs) It's not just the insurance companies who are trying to buck the system, though. For instance, one Orlando-based urologist is doing the same. This is the sign that the doctor put on the door of his office. It was the first thing patients would see. It said, if you voted for Obama, seek urologic care elsewhere. He's obviously a urologist. Changes to your health care begin right now, not in four years. That's right, buddy. If you voted for Obama, this man will not (laughs) touch your penis. (laughs) If you voted for McCain, he'll touch your penis. <laughs> so what is in the law that's uh, so horrible line, It moved Dr. Jack Castle to Michigan. get out uh, that sign?
4: Did you realize that uh, that hospice, you know, which is the end of life, mm-hmm. caring, uh, that that's, that's going to be totally cut uh, in 2012? I mean, not only do they want you to die
5: at a younger age, as they, as they basically ratchet down care, but they want you to die a slow and painful death Mm. as well. I mean, this is, it's horrible.
1: And I heard that the hospice cat, who comes and sits on your bed when you're gonna die, now they're gonna give him a gun and he's just gonna shoot you in the head. Yeah. Man, this law. This law is having terrible effects on health care services in the crazy fantasy universe inside the doctor's head. <laughs> of course, in our world, hospice care isn't being cut, as Alan Combs pointed out to Dr. Castle.
6: Isn't what they're cutting under the Medicare plans what was really double dipping? They were getting credits, ta- and they were getting to deduct them at the same time. Well,
2: you know
5: what? I, uh, I can't tell you exactly, you
4: know, what the deal is. But if I you don't know, know what the
6: what deal, the deal is, is, why are you speaking out against something you don't know what the deal
4: is? Well, I mean, I, I, I get what I, what I get online, just like any other
3: American.
1: You're a doctor! <laughs> you, you get your information online as, as a citizen, not as a doctor. Christ, th- th- every time I go online to diagnose myself, it turns out I have cancer! <laughs> Oh, you know, I have like a weird pain on my side here. Oh, my God, it's cancer. I have a runny nose. Oh, I have nostril cancer. I forgot my brother-in-law's birthday. I have memory cancer. It's the internet. Everything's cancer. (laughs) Of course, this could just end up as a simple whack job doctor making a lame political statement or some elected official could choose to take him seriously democratic congressman alan grayson he's filing a formal complaint with the florida department of health and the florida medical board what he's doing
5: is no different from saying i will not treat a black person
1: what you're gonna drop the selma bomb on one urologist wow i guess if he uses two fingers in the prostate exam it's like slavery all
7: over again
0: This episode is being sponsored by Audible. They're the world's largest resource for downloadable audio content like books, periodicals, premium podcasts, and more. For a limited time until June 30th, Audible is offering listeners of this show a free audiobook download of your choice. It's a pretty good deal. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com slash best. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best.
2: Consider this the post-game show to the just-finished round of the healthcare debate. A bill was passed, but the long-term struggle will continue. Many more rounds to go. I'll start off by sharing with you three terrific letters to the New York Times. They'll provide a springboard to discuss the broader context, including where we go from here. Here's the first letter. Quote, Those who voted against this historic legislation should be forewarned. They may have scored easy, even cynical political points by opposing passage of a comprehensive and expensive health care bill. But ten years from now, health care will be considered another bipartisan sacred cow universally popular. Forty years from now, the opponents of this bill will be remembered in the same vein as the opponents of the Social Security Act and the Civil Rights Act. I would not want to be in their historical shoes. Close quote. Not just remembered in the same vein, understood to be the very same people doing today just what they did back then. It was right-wingers who opposed the Social Security Act and the Voting Rights Act. And also, most germanely here, they fought against Medicare as well. Listen to what right-wing icon Ronald Reagan had to say in 1961 about a legislative forerunner to Medicare.
5: Write those letters now. Call your friends and tell them to write them. If you don't, this program, I promise you, will pass just as surely as the sun will come up tomorrow. And behind it will come other federal programs that will invade every area of freedom as we have known it in this country. Until... One day, as Norman Thomas said, we will awake to find that we have socialism. And if you don't do this and if I don't do it, one of these days you and I are going to spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free.
2: Sound familiar to the current right-wing scare talk? You can remind your conservative friends about the ridiculous warnings they issued about Medicare. Didn't turn out quite like they predicted, did it? In a related vein, you may have heard that one of the ways the right is continuing their fight is to challenge the health care legislation as unconstitutional. Several state attorneys general, all but one Republicans, filed suit seven minutes after Obama signed the legislation. Right-wingers in the 1930s and 1960s also filed suit against Social Security and the Civil Rights Act when they were passed. Speaking of their suit against Obama's health care reform, Jack Balkin, constitutional law professor at Yale, said, quote, The attack on this bill is not merely an attack on the substance of this particular measure. It's also a challenge to understandings that come with the New Deal. Close quote. Yes, this is all part of the right's efforts to destroy the New Deal. Doubt that? Listen to Rush Limbaugh. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live
7: on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well.
2: One claim in the current court action is that the insurance mandate is unconstitutional because it exceeds Congress's power under the Constitution's Interstate Commerce Clause. Yet, a right-wing leader like Newt Gingrich included such a mandate in his own insurance proposals. But if Democrats do so, go to court! What hypocrisy! Most legal scholars, including some conservative ones, believe the present-day right-wing lawsuit will fail, just like the right's prior legal challenges to Medicare and the Civil Rights Act also failed. Okay, on to the second letter. Quote, I cry tears of joy for those who will be treated and cured as a result of this legislation. But I quiver and quake for those who are left in limbo between now and the proposed enactment date of 2014 for the major expansion of coverage. What of them? We cannot ignore them. We must realize that, but for a turn of fate, they could be us. Close quote. This not taking effect until 2014 is definitely something we progressives should work hard to get moved up. I mean, what exactly is the reason for this long delay? I hear about, oh, it takes time to set up the bureaucracy, formulate rules, etc., etc., etc. Bull. The most recent estimate was that 45,000 Americans die every year from lack of health insurance. They don't have access to preventive health care. Diagnoses are made too late to be effective. Follow-up treatment is skipped because unaffordable. Four more years would be another 180,000 dead Americans. 60 9/11s. Plus how many hundreds of thousands, millions of people suffering unnecessary misery and pain. This delayed date isn't the only thing that demands our immediate attention. There will still be 23 million people uninsured in 2019. Even if we can't get single-payer, Medicare-for-all-type health care now, at least make this private insurance-based reform cover everyone. 23 million people without insurance will result in 23,000 unnecessary deaths each year. That's unacceptable. And if a right-winger tells you, oh, most of these are illegal immigrants, then reply, Okay, but 9 million aren't. That would still be about 9,000 premature deaths of American citizens each year. Is that okay with you? Unfortunately, to many right-wingers, that would be perfectly okay. And would fit in perfectly with the whole philosophical doctrine they've created to justify their callousness and greed and the suffering it causes.
8: there that is manifesting there's anger in there yes
3: there were members of the house who went up into the gallery and took the signs of the protesters who were being essentially detained and taken out and held those signs up in the place of the protesters and
8: remember the incendiary language we've heard goes back to at least last September when Joe Wilson he yelled that you lied during a President Obama's address to a joint session of Congress. We had Alan Grayson of Florida, the Democrats, saying that Republicans want you all to die. That's um, their
3: health care program. Right, health care so.
8: program. So, I mean, the language has escalated and escalated to the point where there have been racial and homophobic epithets yelled at members of Congress. One member, uh, African-American member of Congress was Bat upon,
3: and there have been messages sent to many members of Congress, threatening messages. There were apparently nooses, drawings of nooses Jim that Clyburn. were sent to Jim Clyburn, the bricks the thrown through windows. House, House Democratic Whip, number three-ranking officer in the House, who is African American, and also pictures of gallows sent to Bart Stupak, who became. As in some respects the, the poster boy for a lot of the opposition to this bill when he changed sides and said, all right, the president's executive order on abortion is enough for me. I don't
8: have to have my language in the bill. The and you know, Bart Stupak was getting hate mail yeah, before yeah, that from, from, the the other the, side. from the other side. So exactly. And also uh, Tom Perriello, the Democrat from Virginia, a Tea Party group put up what they thought was his home address. and It actually was the address of his brother. And it turned out his brother's gas line was severed.
3: This is the issue. The issue is, you know, Democrats can ask for protection. They're going to get protection for some period of time. Some of them are going to ask for physical protection. There are, as a matter of course, a certain number of threats that are made against members of Congress. That's just sort of background Every noise. Day. Every day, right. back through the well, ages. That's true. But there has been a spike, no question. A lot of reporters are going to be out there looking for these things. We're going to talk a lot about it. It's kind of a distraction in a lot of respects from important information that needs to be getting out about what's actually in this bill and what's actually happening with it. But it is lurid, and a lot of people are talking about it and I guess the other thing is you hope that this sort of talk
8: does not encourage this kind of behavior and take it to another level. But the reason yes, I agree with you completely and of course this should be overshadowed by the importance of what was passed but the reason I bring this up is because there seems to be even if it's just temporary a somewhat of a a change in public opinion or a public impression about the bill. Prior to the bill, uh, polls showed that a plurality of voters were opposed to the health care bill. Of course, everybody likes health care, but, you know, polls they were didn't like it, the bill. Whatever they want. But there was a, Gala, a USA Today Gallup poll right after its passage showed that 49% now approve of the fact that Congress passed Still it. Still shy of half, of but, course. But compared to 40% who oppose, although the enthusiasm level is not that great.
3: The enthusiasm is, is rather weak, whereas the animosity is extraordinarily intense, Uh, at least that's the initial showing after the bill was first passed. And we had, we have had a lot of talk about the polls back over weeks and months. But two points that I think that came out in the immediate aftermath of this were: first of all, the the disjunctivity of this had seemed to be closing. That as people focused on it more and watched the debate, there was a little bit more support for the bill, a little less opposition. But also, there was one poll, and I only saw one poll that did this, which surprised me, because this would seem like a natural question to ask. But CNN, on one of their polls, said, "Do you like the bill more or less the way it is, or do you oppose it because it's not liberal enough?" Or do you oppose it because it's too liberal? Now, of those three answers, the most popular was, it's too liberal. But if you put together, I like the bill the way it is, plus those who thought it should be more liberal, in other words, maybe single payer or at least having a public option, that combined score got over 50%. That was a surprise, I think, to a lot of people.
8: And I also think there was a certain swagger in the Democrats, starting with Sunday night's vote, because it seems like Democrats were really uh, walking around pretty defensively in the last couple of weeks, sensing that, you know, President Obama was not fighting for the bill strong enough. I mean, when Scott Brown was elected January 19th, everybody said health care was dead, Obama didn't live up to his promise, blah, blah, blah. As it turned out, Nancy Pelosi did exact a pretty impressive victory. She never gave up.
3: And And she always insisted on going for the big bill. Right. There were a lot of people in the White House including Rahm Emanuel and perhaps the president himself, who after the Scott Brown debacle said, hey, we're not going to get the big bill. Let's go incremental. But Nancy Pelosi said, "Uh uh-uh. Don't think that that's going to help us. We'll still get criticized for the big bill even if we pass a little one. Let's get hung for stealing sheep instead of for stealing goats.
8: So the reason I mention the spitting and the epithets and the vandalism is because if there is a sea change in public opinion towards the bill, this is also the kind of headlines, and as you say, journalists search around for these kind of incidents, the more we hear about it, the more perhaps there is a turnabout in how people view the bill. You mentioned Bart
3: Stupak and the battering that he's been taking from left and right. Now, that extends into his primary and his
8: November prospects, too. Bart Stupak, who's in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, has won with at least 65 percent the last four times out. He's never been seen as endangered at all, yet... Actually, a couple of weeks ago, he was hit by a primary from the left. Even though Bart Stupak eventually came on board, voted for the health care bill, Connie Saltenstall, who's a, a liberal Democrat from the district, says, "I have no objection to the fact that he's a you know a, feels this way about abortion, but the fact that one person could have held up this bill for so long and tied all of us in knots for so long, it's just unacceptable." And so she's running against him in the August primary from the left. Do you think she continues? She does. There's a lot of anger. She's already been endorsed by NARAL, by Planned Parenthood, by EMILY's List. So I think groups on the so left. Lever-
3: so, so Bart Stupak should be pretty safe from that challenge.
8: <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well look, In that district. That
3: district those is, are not groups that move a lot of votes.
8: It could bring money. But perhaps the more nerve-wracking for Stupak, perhaps, it's too early, is the fact that the pro-life groups have really felt that he's a Judas. He betrayed them after promising them to hold out and coming through at the last second. And so there was a Republican challenger, Dan Beneshek, a surgeon, first-time candidate, but he's being supported by a lot of pro-life conservative groups who feel that, that Bart Stupak sold them out.
3: And there's going to be a real test of Bart Stupak in that. And do you think Stupak anticipated that from the very beginning? Do you think he thought that he would eventually be a no vote, or do you think he always thought he was going to be a yes vote?
8: That's a good point. A lot of people feel that he sold out for other things, that the administration promised him something. Nancy Pelosi promised him something. I think there was certainly something sincere about Stupak. I mean, he didn't take the popular view. He was not the most popular Democrat in Washington. He's been under a lot of pressure, been jeered at by fellow Democrats for months, having almost held up the bill in November, and then again by threatening to uh, withhold his supporters now. So not the most popular guy. And I really think it is more principle with him. And one more thing to add to talk about the political... Political fallout. Many of the Democrats who voted no on the health care bill back in November and switched to yes vote on Sunday, they have energized the Republican base in their district. Betsy Markey of Colorado, for example. Gabriel work. Giffords from uh, Arizona. Gabriel Giffords, uh, uh, Tom Periello, as we mentioned, in uh, Virginia. These
3: so, are all people who won very narrowly in what are usually Republican or frequently Republican districts. Many cases voted for John McCain in 2008, where the Tea Party and more conventional Republicans are highly active places where they would have had a tough first re-election under the best of circumstances. These people have cast some pretty tough, pretty gutsy votes on this bill.
8: And there are also some Democrats who could be in trouble from the left wing of their party. Michael McMahon of Staten Island has been threatened by Andy Stern of the SEIU of an independent candidacy. Jason Altmyer of Pennsylvania also, who had voted no. Labor in his Pennsylvania district is looking at perhaps either a primary, it's probably too late for a primary challenge, but a third party challenge in November. So Democrats are being hit from the left and right, depending on which way they voted.
0: Hi, everyone. I know you know by now that the members are absolutely the lifeblood of this show. In return for their support, I've been able to increase the schedule to 10 episodes per month. And this means that the members now are only paying 50 cents per per episode to keep the show going. Now, if everyone within the sound of my voice sent in just 25 cents a month, That would be enough, but in reality, we all know that's not going to happen. So just know that when you sign up for a membership at just 5 bucks a month, you're actually supporting the show for yourself and 20 other people who maybe can't afford to pay. So in return, you actually have my gratitude and the gratitude of all of those who benefit from the service this show provides. For details on membership, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
6: Republicans say it is not over. Uh, John McCain says that uh, they will, quote, challenge it every place they can, that the bill is, quote, terribly wrong for America, and that uh, outside the belt where the American people are very angry, they don't like it, and we're going to repeal this. So they're coming. And if that weren't enough, he also added, uh, on all other issues, there will be no more cooperation from the Republicans. Oh, no more? Oh, no, no, please, please don't hit me. Don't hit me, John. Spare me. When was there cooperation? Here's his quote on it. Uh, There will be no cooperation for the rest of the year. The Democrats have poisoned the well in what they've done and how they've done it. They put in hundreds of Republican amendments, and you all still voted no. How did the Democrats poison the well? Well, apparently John Boehner is going to explain it to us. Uh, He's going to try to do a little bit of preaching from the floor of the House. I think it's going to go disastrously wrong. So here is the Republican leadership in the House.
7: Uh, Have at it. Clip number one. I rise tonight with a sad and heavy heart. Mm. Today we should be standing together, reflecting on a year of bipartisanship and working to answer our country's call and their challenge to address the rising cost of health insurance in our country. Today, this body, this institution, enshrined in the first article of the Constitution by our founding fathers as a sign of the importance they placed on this House, should be looking with pride on this legislation and our work. But it is not so. No, Mm. Mm. to say today we're standing here looking at a health care bill that no one in this body believes is satisfactory. Just because you watered it down. Today we stand here amidst the wreckage of what was once the respect and honor that this house was held in by our fellow citizens. And we all know why it is so. We have failed to listen to America. And we have failed to reflect the will of our constituents. And when we fail to reflect that will, we fail ourselves and we fail our country. Look at this bill. Ask yourself, do you really believe that if you like the health plan that you have, that you can keep it? (laughs) That's what they're saying, yeah. No, you can't.
3: Oh, clever. No, you can't. In this economy.
7: You You can't say that. In this economy, with this unemployment, with our desperate needs for jobs and economic growth, is this really the time to raise taxes? That uh, to create bureaucracies and burden every job creator in our land the answer is no can you go home and tell your senior, senior citizens that these cuts in medicare will not limit their access to doctors or further weaken the program instead of strengthening it no you cannot can you go home and tell your constituents with confidence that this bill respects the sanctity of all human life and that it won't allow for taxpayer funding of abortions for the first time in thirty years No, No, you cannot and look at how this bill was written can you say it was done openly with transparency and accountability without backroom deals and struck behind closed doors, hidden from the people? Hell no, you can't! Have you read the bill? Have you read the reconciliation bill? Have you read the manager's amendment? Hell no, you haven't!
5: Order, Mr. Speaker. Order. Both sides would do well to remember the dignity of the House. What dignity of the
6: House? And what do you mean both sides? I just saw John bader going, Hell no, no, you can't. Okay. Now which by the way, I don't have a problem with. He wants to get a little fired up in the speech. Have at it, Hoss. Like that my problem is when the Republicans go out there and encourage the crowd to say crazy things within the debate, he wants to say those things and he wants to get lie, go ahead. My favorite part of it is, look, dude, if you're going to give a speech and pretend to be a preacher, Preacher John, and, get, and rouse the crowd up on your side, you can't keep changing the slogan. You can't go, can you do it? No. And then the next time, can you do it? No, you can't. And the third time, no, you cannot. First of all, you can't have people chanting, no, you cannot. Okay. I mean, these Republicans don't know how to do it. Can we do it? No, you cannot! All uh, right, anyway, now let me rip this guy up on the facts. He says, We should have had a year of bipartisanship, but we didn't. And whose fault is that, John? Like I said, they accepted hundreds of Republican amendments into the bill. Remember, originally in the Senate, where they did the Gang of Six, and they wasted months. Three, four months trying to get the Republicans to agree, and they took away their advantage. They have instead 60 votes, but they said three Republicans and three Democrats in the Finance Committee. That wasn't bipartisanship enough. And then you did the summit at the end, and Obama accepted four more Republican proposals. But that wasn't bipartisanship enough. And so when the Republicans all voted no, it's the Democrats' fault for not being bipartisan. Absurd. Point number two. Uh, I remember when this House had respect and honor. When was that, John? When you guys were running it? And now you admit, oh, yeah, yeah, all we did was pork barrel spending. And when you would cut the mics of the Democrats that were speaking, when you would not allow them anywhere near the room, when you were debating bills, get honor and respect as if you treated the other side with that. Uh, One of your guys just shouted to a Democrat, baby killer, in the middle of the debate. And when the Democrats lost the honor and respect of the House, you encourage your uh, fans out there to shout the N word, the F word, etc. And you're worried that the House has lost honor and respect. Gee, I wonder why, John. And point number three, he said, you know, we failed to listen to the American people because he's got a poll saying most Americans weren't for this bill. Why? Because the right wingers got worked up into hating it, right? Well, it was, uh, Michael Moore made a great point today, though. My guess is you aren't going to turn it down, right? So, when your kid has a pre existing condition and this bill says he can't be discriminated against, are you going to tell the insurance companies, no, I hated this bill, go ahead and discriminate against them. Don't cover my kid. Are you going to do that? No. You're going to take uh, the advantages that were given to you, right? So, uh, but as far as listening to the American people, the American people, 06 elections, 08 elections, gave the Democrats enormous majorities so they can do this, okay? and not just some temporary fleeting poll but if you want to talk about polls you got one poll i got 12 polls that say 60% or more wanted the public option every single poll overwhelming numbers do you respect the american people's point of view on that john bader huh? no i didn't think so no you don't want to do that will of the american people right point number 4 uh he said can you keep your insurance hell no of course you can Who's coming in? Say that's it. I'm going to take your insurance. Look, I got a lot of problems with the bill, and your rates might go up. And I'm not sure it's a great idea overall. But can you keep your insurance? Yes, you can. Um, si sí, se puede. <laughs> the point number five, if I'm on five. He says this bill burdens every job creator in the land. You know what that's translation for? Uh, corporate America that's paying my bills. Okay, uh, the lobbyists that are giving me all that money—they're the job creators in the land. I see you John, I see you. Point number 6 I believe. Uh you know, we're here to protect Medicare. That's what Republicans do. Oh, come on. Now do I have to get back into that? Point number 7. Uh taxpayer funding of abortions. There's a presidential declaration saying that there will be no taxpayer funding of abortions. How much clearer do they need to be? Point number 8 I believe. Transparency. Uh well that one Boehner is right on. Okay. They didn't really have transparency, and they did do backroom deals. They did the backroom deals with the same corporate sponsors that John Boehner takes money from. Now he's not going to tell you that part. The same guys that John Boehner fought tooth and nail for uh, in this same process. But he's right. They did do the backroom deals, and it did hurt the bill. It made the bill a lot more right wing. And then finally, he said,
8: "Have you read the bill?
5: Hell
6: no!" John Boehner did a press conference, put out this huge. Bill, and he said, Oh, look, they didn't read it. Somebody asked him, Hey, John, did you read it? He's like, No, who's got time? You can't do a press conference about how the Democrats didn't read the bill if you didn't read the bill.
9: the kind of thing that the health care reform law was supposed to fix. A major insurance carrier sets up a computer algorithm so it can find and then drop policyholders recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Our fourth story on the Countdown, state and federal regulators are now saying what Countdown viewers already know, that the Obama health care law lacks the enforcement powers either to stop or even substantially reduce such a practice. Tens of thousands of Americans have lost their health insurance after being diagnosed with life-threatening medical conditions that require expensive treatments. The practice is known as rescission. And last year, a congressional committee said that WellPoint is one of the worst offenders. In an exclusive report by investigative journalist Murray Was, Reuters disclosed that WellPoint has been targeting women with breast cancer, dropping their policies for what the company claims is either erroneous or flimsy information. WellPoint would not comment on the breast cancer cases specifically, but said in a statement that rescission investigations are triggered because of various criteria, including certain types of medical claims. The company also said it changed its rescission practices to ensure they are handled properly back in 2006. Healthcare is another of many topics that filmmaker Michael Moore has tackled. Michael Moore, thanks for staying with us from New York tonight. Michael- Do you like my wardrobe change? Uh, yeah, very good, very good. Uh, in the in the 2007 documentary you did Sicko, yeah. you showed, you went to great lengths to show what American health insurance companies will do when you actually, as a, as a customer and a patient, when you actually start
4: costing them money. Well, uh, they're, they're supposed this doesn't to, yeah. surprise you at all. Oh no, no, Go ahead. no! In fact, they're supposed to do it. Uh, they're legally re- required. They have a fiduciary responsibility, according to uh, our laws, to maximize profits for their shareholders. So they are legally required to do whatever, whatever they can do to make as much money as possible for their shareholders. Well, the way you make money with an insurance company is, if you're an insurance company, you try to pay out as few claims as possible. And, and so they have entire departments dedicated to finding any loophole or anything they can do. And this is, this is the, one of the sickest stories because they, they literally developed a, a software uh, program uh, that, would, that would specifically flag any woman who's diagnosed with uh, breast cancer or any problem. Uh, it could be breast cancer. Uh, it was flagged and then they have a whole team of people then that start to look for ways to drop this woman. Uh, They don't really want to come out and say it's, you know, we're getting rid of her because she's got breast cancer. You know, it's kind of crass. So they go about uh, looking for some um, mistakes she made in her application form, uh, maybe a pre-existing condition that she had that she didn't report, something like that. That's what they do. They're in the business to make money. That's how they make their money. And that won't change, even very much under this new health care bill, because as you said, there's no real enforcement power and there's no real fine um as uh, last last time i was here i pointed out to you that that it's if the insurance company is caught denying somebody because of a pre-existing condition or or throwing them off the rolls because they get sick their fine according to this new law is a hundred dollars a day one hundred dollars that's now now do you think they're going to take the fine what do you think they're gonna pay out thousands of dollars to help you if you have cancer? I think they're probably gonna take the fine and then there's no police action on the part of the American people because there's no regulatory, no, no committee, no nothing that's going to go after them when they do this. And, and can I just point out something else, Larry? The, the $100 a day thing, if you have a copy of the health care bill, you can't find that in the bill. It's so hidden, the way they put it in there. I, I mean, my, my team of researchers spent a couple of weeks on it and they found where this actually is going to be just a hundred dollars a day but it's not there it's, it's hidden and in fact if, if anybody's watching this if you want to just if you get the bill online see if you can find where that is if you can actually find it and break the code uh, of this bill uh you know send me a thing on twitter and i'll i'll, I'll send you i'll come over and wash your car Okay, bloggers, Michael's giving you your
9: assignment for the night. Uh, Michael, to go back to your original point, I think it's the crucial point here. The insurance company is doing what it is supposed to do in a capitalist system. This is where we have to cross-cut between your movie Sicko and capitalism. And, and I have always felt that we shouldn't be putting insurance companies in this position. We shouldn't have people sitting in those cubicles out there in the Midwest in these different uh, office towers uh, trying to cut people out of their health insurance because the government should be the First, provider of this kind of service in these kinds of situations. This is the argument for single payer health care. This that is, is the argument for Medicare for all is that the insurance companies are indeed doing exactly what they're supposed to do, and the new law
4: leaves the insurance companies in place to continue to right. do it. I think that, um, you know, 100 or 200 years from now, when historians or anthropologists uh, dig us up, they're not going to understand. Why we allowed companies to make a profit off someone who got sick? They're just—they're not going to understand. They're going to—how ha- cruel were these people? And they were like the richest country on earth at the time, and and they allowed some of their people to, to make a profit off others when they fell ill. They won't understand it. We're going to—we're going to look uh, as crazy and and demented as as we look back on you know, hundreds of years ago when when people did cruel things or uh, when they put leeches on their bodies to heal themselves or whatever. We thought they were crazy. Well, that's what they're going to think of us, um, that we allow this to continue. Here's how President Obama can fix this. And everybody watching this should write to their member of Congress or senator and to President Obama and say, look, you do have the authority to write the regulations, to actually write how this health care bill is enforced. And and he can he can do and believe me, if you remember, George W. Bush did this quite often. He can write uh, uh, and, and, and do executive orders to issue some of the regulations that need to put some real teeth into the healthcare bill so that the well points and these other insurance companies aren't able to punish you because you come down with breast cancer. I mean, it's, it's, it's up to our president and our Congress at this point to, to rectify this. And, Michael, we have a new Republican
9: idea this week coming out of the Nevada Senate campaign. Harry Reid's Republican opponent in Nevada says that if you're having trouble affording health care, it is perfectly reasonable to barter with your doctor. She actually specifically suggested uh, you could possibly bring a chicken. Uh, for, for your doctor, she was offered an opportunity, repeated opportunities to back down, to say, yeah. well, I didn't mean it literally. She means it literally. She is, I guess, showing us uh, the Wild West uh, idea
4: about what healthcare reform should be, go back to a barter system. Well, you know, I think uh, if we go to chickens uh, to in order to pay the doctor, um Who's going to want to go to the doctor's office when it's full of chickens? I mean, I don't know if you've ever cleaned out a chicken coop, but, man, that's the last, that's the last thing you want are a lot of chickens around. Um, so this, this, this actually, Larry, pr- proves something very fundamental about our, our two parties. Say what you want about the Democrats. They're a bunch of wimps. Uh, they don't have the courage of their convictions. Yes, they can be bought by big corporations and lobbyists, too, just like the Republicans. But the one thing that they're not the Democrats, the one thing that they're not, is completely crazy. Uh, (laughs) The the ideas like this just make you wanna go, what has happened? I I mean, I used to know really nice, smart, good Republicans. What has happened? This is so ultimately bizarre. And and, uh, I just hope they keep coming up with more ideas like that uh, so the American people are reminded uh, just how bad we had it for those eight years in the first part of this decade. And um, we certainly don't want to go back to that. And now we know what Harry Reid has really been
9: up against in Nevada, which uh, to my eye makes uh, his work this year all the more heroic in trying to push forward something that in his state uh, was never popular, and in his state, a state where you can get away with, apparently at this point, political statements like,
4: bring a chicken to your doctor to to pay for your medical bill. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know what to say. It. Um the last thing you want to do is actually have to barter with your doctor. I mean, imagine this. You're going in for a really important operation and you have to, like, you're going to bargain him down. And let's say you get a good deal. How's he going to feel going into the operating room? You know, I want that guy to, to be really happy. I don't want to have to just have gone through some serious negotiating with, negotiation with him or to have filled up his office with a bunch of chickens.
0: You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support.
1: I remember thinking... Wow. They thought that we should... I guess tonight, Democratic congressman from the great state of Michigan. He's the longest-serving member in the history of the House of Representatives. Please welcome to the program, Congressman John Dingell. Sir? <laughs> very, very nice to have you with John. <laughs> <Thanks for laughs> to be here. Uh, welcome. Uh, I see you have brought uh, uh, the show to order uh, by bringing... Is, is this the gavel? Do you all get a gavel? What What is this?
10: This is a gavel I used when I presided over Medicare's enactment and when I presided over parts of the health bill and which Nancy Pelosi used when she gaveled the bill into law. This is a historic... uh... Go ahead. It'll work.
1: (laughs) Damn big government! There we go. Would you care for a walnut, sir?
10: Thank you. You're very welcome.
1: Uh, Congressman, (laughs) you... You have been working on this health care bill since... This is something that's been a dream of yours since you got into Congress, since your father was in Congress, universal health care, insuring people that did not have the means to insure themselves. are, Are you feeling gratified? Uh, is this the way that you foresaw it happening? Did it take too long? What's what's your feelings on this?
10: Well, clearly it took too long, but it was a, but it was a great thing, and the country's going to like it when we finished.
1: What about the big argument is the mandate? People are upset that the government is now telling you you have to buy uh, health insurance or they will kill you.
10: Well, <laughs> not exactly. With a gavel. <laughs> Uh, in point of fact, that is Bob Dole's idea, and, <laughs> and and Mitt Romney is is a big supporter of it. The Republicans like the Republicans like these ideas when they have them, but when we have them, they don't like them so well.
1: I see, because this was when they uh, were doing health reform in '93, uh, they had suggested this type of mandate, and, and uh, is is the reason for the mandate so that you can negotiate as a group. So that the people who aren't insured if you make the mandate everyone's in the same pool
10: yes but it's to get you the largest possible pool so that the costs are spread over the largest number of people and that way you can absorb the costs and you can do so at the least damage to anyone now can you
1: control the cost how is this not just delivering an enormous pile of americans into an insurance company and allowing them to charge whatever it is will, will they are there cost controls, price controls? How does that...?
10: Not as much as I think we ultimately are going to need, but the hard fact is, first of all, there's going to be competition. They're going to have to do it through exchanges. And in addition to having to do it through exchanges, if they charge too much or they raise the prices too much between now and the time that the exchanges go into place, in 2014, uh, there will be penalties associated with that.
1: So that's, you've taken into consideration the idea, you would have preferred there be stronger cost controls and stronger uh, penalties for the insurance companies to, to gouge. For misbehavior, Yeah.
10: For misbehavior.
3: Yes.
1: For misbehavior. We'll, so but you think they'll be in there?
10: They will be there, and I think it's going to be, it's going to work, and it's going to be a lot better than what we have now.
1: Why do you think people are so mad at Congress and, and dress up in, let's say, three-cornered hats to express it? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why, why is there, there's, it's, it's incredible to me that, that there's such anger
10: and it's such costumed
1: anger. Well,
10: <laughs> I don't know how you answer that one. The simple fact of the matter is, uh, people are afraid, they're frustrated, and a lot of times they don't know really who they're mad at. For example, they're mad at everybody um, and, and, and they're, they're not particularly upset about Wall Street. And, and, and they're raising cane with the Congress because we had to, in, in fact, bail out the banks or we'd have had another 1929 on our hands. Right. Now, for, in, for you, you've been there for
1: a long time. Is this the most anger you felt from constituents, or is it just that they didn't have Twitter in 1964, <laughs> and if they had civil rights legislation, I'm sure there would have been an emoticon for ending Jim Crow. <laughs> Lord knows what they would have used, semicolon, etcetera. et cetera, but you know what I'm saying.
10: I went through the fight on civil rights. There was a lot of bitterness and anger in the old world then. There, they The Republicans were going to repeal Social Security and they made a, a campaign issue in 1936, and they they fought to a man, and Bob Dole brags about it, uh Medicare. And on this one, uh, they're after us o- over health care bill but they're also now going to fight to the death against bringing some of the abuses on wall street under control now
1: why is it that uh, uh there isn't that forget about collegial nature but uh why can't you pick off a couple of people are they that disciplined in their approach to the republicans that even one two can't be picked off in the senate
10: um yes and the hard fact is that if You don't behave yourself according to the leadership's wishes. You're gonna get a primary that will be funded against you by uh, groups of uh, fellow travelers of the Republican Party.
1: How big a majority would the Democrats need? 98% (laughs) (laughs) to avoid this kind of... Let's say the rapture occurred and all the Republicans were gone. (laughs) Would the Democrats... Would, would the Democrats,
10: at that point, be able to pass
1: legislation they want?
10: Well, we did, we did pass. The, we did pass the health bill. And we will pass reform of the financial And you think market.
1: the kind of reform that you'll be proud of and you'll feel strong about, and not the kind of thing you'll have to go back in 2014 and, and rec- like, you'll get it right now?
10: Well, we always make mistakes. Um, The the Congress is a human institution. And the last perfect law, Moses brought off Mount Sinai, and you know what happened to it then.
1: He hurt his back terribly. uh... (laughs) Eddie
10: Eddie broke it up, as you'll remember. I do remember. Uh,
1: Well, sir, I I can't tell you, you know, uh, you are a throwback to when they made people in a heartier way and in a a better time, and you you ooze uh, the integrity of your age, and, and I appreciate you being on the show.
6: You can't be like me happy that you can't I see pain but I don't feel it I am like the old tin man I'm as warm as a stone I keep it steady as I can I see pain but I don't feel it I am like the old tin man
5: Now for the top story tonight, very interesting political situation. Republican Senator Tom Coburn from Oklahoma recently appeared at a town hall meeting, where he was questioned about Obamacare, specifically how the government will punish people who don't buy mandatory health insurance.
10: The intention is not to put anybody in jail. That makes for good TV news on Fox, but that isn't the intention. Wow. All right,
5: joining us from Washington is Senator Coburn. Can you tell me one person on Fox News, just one, was told this audience? that they'll go to jail if they don't buy health insurance. You don't know anybody on Fox News, because there hasn't been anyone, that said people will go to jail if they don't buy uh, mandatory insurance. I will tell you, I've heard that in certain Fox programs, the but case tell me, is Tell me, what, 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 because it doesn't happen here, and we researched to find out if anybody on Fox News had ever said you go to jail if you don't buy health insurance. Nobody's ever said it. So it seems to me that what you did was you used Fox News as a whipping when we didn't qualify there. If you don't play by their new rules on health care, ooh, here's a new little twist. Have you heard this? You're going to be looking at a fun little stint in jail. If you don't
4: purchase what the government tells you to
7: buy,
5: the government may fine you, prosecute you, and
1: even put you in jail. This is not even a health care bill. This is a bill that raises taxes 14 times, puts people in jail potentially if they don't have health insurance. You actually can go to jail
5: for not having health insurance. And then we're also going to fine people and send them to jail. Pay a fine and or go to jail. You face $250,000 or five, five years, years in prison.
7: Let's If
1: say- you can afford health insurance, then you, you should, you and if you don't, You
5: should go
7: to jail. Now, Nancy, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this, I'm telling you this, Nancy. Look at me. I'm telling you, Nancy, if you were to tell people that look, if you don't go along with our plan, we're gonna drag your ass to jail and we're gonna fine you while we're at it. What do you think Would be the reaction they'd get. I'll tell you what their reaction would have been. You're crazy! They're marching off to Lompoc or Attica. Enjoy the bread and water.
1: If you don't buy health insurance and you don't buy government-approved health insurance, we can put you in jail for up to a year. Jail time.
5: You got to buy health insurance. If not, you could be fined, and I I guess eventually that could lead to prison. I mean, the way you understand it right now, could people be going to jail for not owning health insurance? There's always that risk. Young people. The question among them has gone from, "Oh yeah." We really need insurance, too. What, am I going to go to jail if I don't have it?
1: You know, I thought the idea of health care reform was to help the uninsured.
3: Actually, actually, in some facilities, jail facilities, you can get medical care.
1: The great thing is if you don't have insurance and you go to jail, free health care.
3: Like, let's say you can't afford insurance. You get
1: fined or maybe go to jail. Can you imagine the sheriff going out and running and throwing you in jail? I mean, can you
3: imagine a, your prison yard? What are you in for? Murder. I'm in for rape. I didn't have health insurance.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, this is the reality. No,
1: if you can't afford coverage to begin with, how much better off are we to fine you? But the big insurance or companies. Or send you to jail. Yeah,
2: or send you to jail. Hey, what's up with this? You're going to send poor people to jail because they can't buy the health insurance because they're going to get this penalty and they're going to end up in jail.
5: Penalties for people. WHO DON'T GET GOVERNMENT MANDATED HEALTH INSURANCE, Uh, JAIL TIME? possibility? Jail? Is we, that- are, we are losing freedom. I mean, the Berlin Wall anniversary was just the other day and these are the kinds of policies that used to be imposed on people behind that wall. One problem they're gonna have though Sean, they're gonna have to do something about prisons. If they're gonna put all these people in jail, it costs fifty thousand dollars a year so they're gonna have to do prison reform. That's and probably true. Democrats don't like to do prisons. put well, People in jail if they don't uh, get their, their government mandated help. If you don't play ball with them now, if you don't get into their government health care, there will be jail time and that of course is fair. I don't have universal health care. No, I'll get, uh, well, you will soon. <laughs> oh, I know, um, or I'll go to jail. Yeah, are, are you going to be a conscientious objector to health care? You know, this is the first time in history in our country where just to be a citizen, just to be Just to not go to jail. Right. You have to buy something. I think you should go to prison for this cause. Really? I do. Yeah. All right. That'd be fun. I'll help you. (laughs) That'd be fun.
9: Nice attitude adjustment on Tom Coburn the other night. (laughs) Last time I saw a guy with that much hat in hand, it was Odd Job at Fort
0: Knox in
5: Goldfinger. (laughs) (laughs) He looked like he was spooked, didn't he? The senator from Oklahoma, people missed it last night. You know, I'd criticized Fox News about. uh certain things and didn't really have his yeah. facts in line.
7: I come to you defensive with the trust
1: of a child
6: Remember how a couple of days ago we caught Bill O'Reilly uh, lying about how t- no one on Fox has ever said that you'd get jail time if you didn't pay uh, the fine for because of health insurance mandates? And then we played about, what we played four clips, but there's many more where there's news, Fox news anchors, hosts, everybody saying, oh my God, they're going to arrest you, you're going to prison. Now, he knows he's been caught, and that's spread everywhere. So O'Reilly has to try to cover his tracks. So this is great Orwellian talk. Uh, I'm going to give you the actual facts, of course, after you listen to this uh, wonderful piece of propaganda by Bill O'Reilly.
5: Again, NBC News has highlighted dishonest propaganda from the far-left Media Matters outfit sadly (laughs) time magazine also participated in the sham Controversies about senator Tom Coburn's assertion that Fox News scared some Americans by saying they could go to prison if they don't buy health insurance under Obamacare on Tuesday here's what I said to the senator we researched to find out if anybody on Fox News had ever said you go into jail if you don't buy health insurance. Nobody's ever said it. So it seems to me that what you did was you used Fox News as a whipping boy when we didn't qualify there. Now, Senator Coburn admitted he may have made a mistake, but to be fair, the mistake <laughs> is understandable because last fall, when jail time was on the table, Fox News reported it as we should have. Listen to these sound bites. Do you think
4: it's appropriate to have a threat of jail time
5: for those who refuse to buy insurance? You know,
4: what I
7: think is appropriate is that in the same way that everybody has to get auto insurance, and if you don't, you're subject to some penalty. I'm just trying to understand. um, If you don't buy health insurance, you go to jail?
2: Well, there there is, is I think the legislation is very fair in this respect.
5: All right. Now, as we all know, the prison option was taken off the table when the final Obamacare bill was being debated. And that's what we were talking to Senator Coburn about. The final bill debate. Not all that stuff. So what I said is absolutely true. Nobody at Fox News reported inaccurately about the Obamacare prison situation. Nobody. The importance of this is that you, the everyday American, are now being lied to on a regular basis by people working for huge corporations, and <laughs> nothing's being done about it. A voter-driven republic, a voter-driven republic, cannot survive if lies supersede the truth. Uh, you know that's awesome. I love that, because he's so brazen and he
6: takes it over the top and he blames the other guys for lies lying. So we looked. Was there an earlier version of the bill? that had jail time for if you, you know, didn't pay the fine? You want to guess? Of course there wasn't. There is no such thing. There is no like, hey, you know what, it was jail time was in there, but then Fox came talking about it, so they took it out. Did you see how they took those clips from Pelosi and Obama out of context? They asked them the question about jail time, and before they can finish their sentence that there isn't any jail time, they're like, cut, that's it. See? See? You know, they answered a question about it and they didn't say anything in the first couple of words. So I, I think that the legislation is fair in these ways. One there was kind of... <laughs> sorry. And besides, O'Reilly said no one ever said that on air on Fox. Now he's changed it to no one ever said it inaccurately because we made up a thing about how it was in the bill in the first place when it wasn't. Hey, Billow, why don't you produce a version of the bill that has jail time in it? Like say, okay, oh, no, we got the earlier version of the bill. Here it is. And put it online. Let us see it. If it, if you have that, I will come on here and I will apologize. So, I mean, you know what? I got it wrong. O'Reilly got it right. Come on. Come on. Easy. Super easy, right? Go ahead. There is no such version. And then the final irony is this big corporate media, they're lying to you. News Corp, which owns Fox News, is a giant corporate media enterprise. I'm not sure there's a larger media enterprise in the world. Okay, and he turns around like he's the little guy. Oh, poor little me, Bill O'Reilly. I'm trying to correct all these mistakes on you know, in this program, in this little program that I'm doing here. Oh please, Bill. God, they, what's amazing about them? Why they're part of why they're successful is how brazen they are. And he said in the beginning, you know, Coburn admitted his mistake. I watched that interview. Coburn didn't admit any mistake. He said the guys who come to my uh, rally are Fox News guys, and they were the ones that were misinformed. And Coburn wasn't wrong. <laughs> O'Reilly was wrong. <laughs> They're masters at turning the truth on its head.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Now, I want to uh, just quickly thank a couple of members, but then share with you a, uh, a bit about the fun debate that broke out over on the Facebook page uh, earlier this week. Uh, so first of all, I just want to thank a really old school member, Arthur D., who signed up for a monthly membership way back on September 6th of last year and has been sticking with the show ever since. Huge thanks to Arthur for uh, for hanging in there. And, uh, and then more recently, John H. signed up on March 26th and went ahead and signed up for a full year in advance. So, you know, huge thanks for going ahead and, you know, being such a, a dedicated member. So about that debate on, on Facebook, basically what happened was I was listening to my, you know, news and politics, as I usually do uh, almost every day. And, uh, and so there was some talk about that kid who ran out on the baseball field and got tased by the security guard. The fact that people were talking about it made me think, you know, I should go on the record. So I just... Uh, um, posted out there on Facebook, you know, hey, uh I'm just going on the record. I'm against taser abuse. And you know, on top of that, I define abuse fairly loosely. And I thought that was a pretty normal thing to say and uh you know, most most people generally agree with that point of view. Um but, you know, luckily for the sake of debate, there was one person who was willing to take the other side, and it ended up in a with there being a little bit of a back and forth between a couple of people um, posting on on Facebook. And so, the argument that stuck in my mind, because I think it really um, is kind of a pervasive way of thinking that can be applied to not only taser abuse but um, uh, you know other other circumstances. And what this guy said was a couple of things. First of all, he said, you know, g- give, give the cops a break you know they know what they're doing and we should trust that they know what they're doing and and then kind of on top of that his secondary argument was you know what, what would you do if you were a cop like put yourself in the shoes of the police and if you were faced with a criminal and you could either fight them hand to hand or try to wrestle them to the ground or you had the ability to just take them down quickly and easily what would you do wouldn't you want to just do the thing that was quicker and easier And the reason that that sticks in my mind is because the answer to that question is, yeah, if I was in that position, I would want to do the thing that was quick and easy. And most people's instincts would be to do that. But that which is most people's instinct is not necessarily the right thing to do as policy for a civilized society. And so you know it was a little unfortunate i thought the the debate between these two guys on the facebook page kind of uh, devolved into a little bit of a you know oh you're a secret conservative because you want to support the police and the guy was left to saying like no it's ridiculous like i'm not a conservative i just support the police i'm happy to to defend the guy on, on that point and say that if he's gonna say like i'm totally liberal and and you'd agree with me on almost everything else but i think that you know the the police should be given a break so yeah you know i'm, I'm having to take a, to his word on that and even agree that police should generally be trusted to do what they're trained to do which is why my argument falls much more on the side of look we just need to recognize something about tasers and train people differently and and so so i don't think that you know being strict uh, on being, you know, anti-taser abuse is a liberal position, and the opposite is a conservative position. I think the opposite is just a, um, you know, it's it's not a liberal or conservative issue, it's it's a thoughtful or immature stance, one or the other. I think, I hope that I have a a thoughtful and mature idea about this where we've been taught for years that tasers are non-lethal, they don't hurt people, they just stun you makes it easy for the police to you know to take care of a situation quickly and easily and then pesky facts got in the way and it turns out that people are being trained that they're so non-lethal and they hurt people so little that they use them too much they use them on people you know elderly the very young pregnant you know disabled whatever things like that that just kind of instinctually turn people's stomachs like how could you do that to that particular person and then also just the idea that in very rare cases they actually turn into lethal weapons because of some sort of like a you know a health condition with the person you're dealing with and then all of a sudden you've you've done something that you thought was going to be non-lethal and it turned out to be lethal and then it's tragedy so i had this thought recently and and i actually thought there was a, a decent comparison to compare it to the death penalty in in from my point of view and let me explain um, you know, when I was younger, obviously I grew up in a country where the death penalty was legal, and so I, you know, so so right right there, you kind of have the instinct. Well, we do it, so it's probably okay. And then secondly, you get asked the, the question, well, so if if someone kills a bunch of people, should they be killed? I'm like, well, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, and so so that is, you know, hey, what would you do? If you found out that someone was killing a bunch of people and they were likely to kill other people or do worse things to them and, you know, rape and torture people, you know, then what would you do? Do you think we should get rid of that person? Uh, Well, yeah. My instinct is, yeah, we should get rid of that person. And then, you know, pesky facts get in the way and you start to learn that, well, okay, so in a perfect system, yeah, we should do that. But we don't have a perfect system. And in an imperfect system, we end up, uh, you know, having a policy where we put people to death and then sometimes we kill innocent people well so then for me that one fact and you know that you can be a lot more thoughtful about it and come up with a lot more reasons why morally a society shouldn't put people to death but, but it only takes that one for me to, to then decide well okay so then we shouldn't kill people because we're gonna accidentally kill innocent people and so then you you compare that to tasers and my thought is look if a, if a taser is thought of as non-lethal, and then sometimes it accidentally becomes lethal, then it should just be treated as a lethal weapon. You know, it's, that, that seems really, really simple to me. I, I don't want to abolish it. You know, it's, that, that's where the comparison breaks down. I want to abolish the, the death penalty in this country. I don't want to abolish the taser. It's obviously a useful tool. It is generally non-lethal but since it sometimes is lethal, it should just be treated as such. That, that's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying get rid of it. I'm just saying be more careful. Use it when you would otherwise use a gun. So this guy on fa- Facebook, he kept making comparisons. Like, well, if you were faced with a you know big you know criminal and he was gonna uh, you know run away and be a threat to society, or you're gonna have to go hand to hand with him, then you still wouldn't want to use a taser. Like, and the the cop would risk uh, you know injury or death. Like, well. That's a ridiculous comparison because in that comparison, then obviously you're in the right to use a little bit more force in the type of situation where you may pull a gun and not use it. Go ahead and pull a taser and then decide, maybe I'm not going to use this either. Just pulling it could be enough of a threat. And then the person attacks you. Well, okay, then you get to use it. So that I think is actually probably just going to be part one in in my uh, thoughts on, on tasering because that's just the the discussion about whether or not we should abuse the taser you know what what i define as abuse and for me the conversation about tasers actually gets more interesting once you get past that discussion and so i'll I'll hopefully explain that uh on on a later show if i don't remind me so that's going to be it for today uh please continue to tell everyone you know about the show just spreading the word and growing the audience makes a huge difference thanks to everyone who does that to stay connected to the show between episodes and to even help spread the word about it online, join up uh, and, and connect with us on Twitter and Facebook. For details on the show itself, including links to the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month now. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Best of
1: and wise. who took apart a picture that wasn't right